the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again, welcome to the program and we're broadcasting again from the North Coast. This time we're at the uh, Broadwater Sugar Sugar Mill, the uh, Sunshine Sugar Mill, which was extensively damaged during the floods. Uh, The 1st of March, Kim Honan. That was the D-Day here, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. Uh, of course, yesterday we sort of marked the, the anniversary one year for a lot of the communities in Lismore and Surrounds, also Tweed and the Cane, but a lot of that extensive damage downstream uh, happened here on the, the 1st of March. And Broadwater Sugar Mill, one of three mills on the coast, the other at one at Harwood, the other one at Condong in the Tweed, um, all three mills were mm, damaged. Absolutely. This one here at Broadwater on the banks of the Richmond River suffered the most damage at $25 million. We're with Ian McBean, the operations manager for Broadwater Mill. Good afternoon, Ian. Good afternoon, Kim. So $25 million worth of damage here, but all up, the the three mills, you're looking at close to sort of $45 million? Yeah, so the total flood recovery cost is is estimated at being about $45 million. We haven't finished that process yet. It's an ongoing program of work, but thankfully... We've got the um, Anchor Ground program has come through to help us with that process and we're now focusing on some of the outstanding work such as administration buildings and other buildings that we need now to get up and running to complete the process. Now Ian, where we're standing now, we would have been underwater on the 1st of March. In fact, it was up to the rafters here yeah. and right throughout the factory you had equipment washed away you had uh, all the electronics had to be replaced so it's a, it's a it was a mammoth task when you came in a couple of days later yeah so you know you think about it where we're standing now as you said i'm not a very tall person but the water here where we stand no, you're right, you're would okay. have been about 1.6 meters <laughs> plus deep and this is one of the sort of higher areas of the site other areas of the site we had 2.7 meters of water and as you say everything that was in that within that flood zone was destroyed to a large extent mm. and uh, the farmers around here too all their crops underwater as well and the, you know they're, they're your customers exactly so you know it wasn't just the sugar mill that got affected it was the local community the growing sector the harvesting sector everybody that's associated with the industry on the richmond and of course all the people that live on the richmond so it was a, a devastating event yeah the staff too who lost their homes yeah, we have you know 16 of our staff here at Broadwater lost everything as part of the process just as many of our growers did and, and, and many of them are still recovering themselves you know, from, from the process and hats off to them as many of them you know, still came to work you know, so they, and they participated in the recovery program and program of work here at, at the sugar mill. And we did a bit of a tour of the facility, so uh, some of the tanks got lifted up and nearly got washed away down to, down the river, and you had equipment and trucks and things moved away as well. Um, so went the site, I think you came back on the 6th of March, you must have been tearing your hair out. You didn't, don't have yeah, a lot of hair I mean, left, but you, did, you would have been tearing your hair out at the it time. It was, you know, when we arrived here on the 6th of March, was the first day we could get back in, it was like a bomb site. Mm. And... You know, you look around and there was just nothing left. Mm. And that's where we started from. Mm. And how was it? Take us through the rebuilding process. What did you do then? The key thing really at the outset was just to get, trying to get people focused on some key things. So our primary focus really was just on starting the cleanup. You can imagine there was debris and mud and you name it. So that was our first area of focus just to start cleaning up so we could get, get some order we had to establish 
a basically an HQ from which to work from because we only had one building left that we could occupy. We had no power, we had no no phones, no water, no toilet facilities, etc. So, you know, we just started at the beginning and focused on some of the key things we had to get implemented from the outset so that we could at least start a program of work and then we went from there. And you made the point that a lot of people, there were naysayers at the time, said, oh, they came in and saw the damage and said, it'll never be up and running again. It'll nev- you'll never be able to get this site yeah. up and running. Certainly there was that view, not only in the industry, but I guess in the community. There mm. were people saying that this was the end of the Broadwater Sugar Mill and, you know, the end of the industry on the Richmond. Mm. And I think we proved them wrong. Mm. Well, you certainly had to be trucking cane to Harwood and Condong Mills for a while until the, the, the mill got up and running in September. So, so we recognised that given the scale of the task in front of us that we also needed to take some pressure off and give, give growers the opportunity to start harvesting some cane so that we made a concerted effort to get some of that sugar cane to the other two mills who were able to get up and running before us uh, simply because they didn't have the, the scale of damage that we'd had. So we did that in a couple of stages, one before we got going and then one also after Kondong had finished crushing at the end of November, early December. So through that process we were able to get about 50,000 tonnes of cane moved to the other two mills. So that helped certainly helped us get our crop off and get our season shortened. But we still crushed through to the nearly the end of January. So not quite fully operational or how would you describe it like 95 percent i'd describe it as 95 percent from an operational from a sugar milling and sugar processing uh, cane processing perspective you know we're up and running as i said at the outset it's really now just about some of those peripheral things that we have to now finalize which is getting the buildings rebuilt and getting our people out of demountable buildings you know we've only got our last generator out of here last week you know, so we've been running on generators. We've, you know, it's been a, it's been a, a pretty big effort from that perspective. Mm. And in terms of what you had to replace, like uh, old machines, or mainly was it electronic equipment, or you know, what sort of things did you have to, you know, junk and start again? Well, it was, you know, as I said when we did the walk around, it was everything that was in the flood zone. You know, mm. within that 1.6 to 2.7 meters of water, mm. was basically destroyed or severely affected by the flood. Which is well above what people estimated was a 1 in 100. You showed me that. It, yeah. That's way... Well, that was right right down, and the actual flood was well over our head. And, and uh, you know, that's a big difference between what was forecast as 1 in 100 and what actually happened. Yeah, and it's a good point that you make, because, you know, all of our planning and our mm. flood preparation and everything was based on a 1 in 100 flood level. Um, and we did that in preparation for the flood, and the water went over that by 1.6 metres. Mm, mm. You know, so all that work that we did to try and mitigate the impact of the flood was largely um, a waste of time in hindsight, because just simply because of the, of the level of the flood. But to come back to your question, you know, everything in that flood zone was affected, so we either had to replace it, repair it, or um, just check it out, at least to make sure that it, that it could still operate. And so that was a mammoth exercise. And it's fair to say from our perspective, you know, the, the contractors that we employed through that process, the key contractors were outstanding. And mm. without them, obviously, we, it would have taken a lot longer 
for us to get up and going again. And you had to get equipment and uh, machinery imported from Europe, and you also had to get a lot of, a lot of electronics put in, re- redone. That's right. So, you know, it's, it's some of the electronic equipment that we had, you know, was fairly dated, should I use that word, and we've had to get new equipment, you know, and long lead time items. You know, so overall, those are all the challenges we had to go through, and I think it was quite a, it was a huge effort on everybody's part. I mean, our staff put in a huge effort, and we were ready to crush cane again on the 1st of September, which was an outstanding effort. Yeah, quite, quite and, incredible. Yeah, yeah, and certainly the, the crop last year was affected, harvested one point, just over 1.3 million tonnes, expected to be down again this year, and we'll hear from some growers shortly. I think it's going to be a similar sort of number this year, but the broadwater crop is going to be significantly down on last year. The nature of our industry here with a two-year crop means that when we have catastrophic events of this nature, the the, the significant impact is actually in the subsequent year, yeah. not in the year of the event, mm. because of our two-year crop. So we're in, we're expecting. You know, last year we did 460,000 tonnes at Broadwater. This year initial numbers are suggesting a number somewhere around 300, 330,000 tonnes. You know, so we've got to get through this, se- this season yet. We've got, certainly got a good plan to do that. But from here on, it's, it's hopefully it's onwards and upwards. Mm. Yeah. Ian, uh, appreciate your time on the program today. Thank you, Michael. It's uh, qu- uh, 14 minutes past 12. On ABC Radio New South Wales, you're with Michael Condon for the New South Wales Country Hour. And Kim Honan with me as well, and we're broadcasting from the Broadwater Sugar Mill, and uh, we were talking earlier about the amount of water that we saw on farms here, and we're joined at the moment by uh, a cane and soybean farmer, Marty Walsh, uh, from the Richmond Valley. He joins us now. Good afternoon. Afternoon. How are you? Very well. Um, Take us back to a year ago in your place. What was happening? Um, Yeah, nervous time. Um, Probably, like a lot of people, didn't think it was going to be as mm. big as it was, yeah. I was saying to my wife, it's fine, the house has never had water in it, as a lot of people were saying, and um, it just kept getting deeper and deeper, and um, I think it was one o'clock in the morning it came in the front door, yeah. Mm. So. so was that one o'clock on the 1st of March? Um, it was on the, on the Monday morning, mm. I think it was the, f- I think you're right, yeah. Yeah. So it, um, it ended up being about... 1100 downstairs at our house and obviously a lot of our farms are a lot lower than our house block so they had lots of water and so you'd actually built up your houses on mounds above the flood level the house we didn't actually build the house we're in um, but it was built on a high mound yeah a lot of people brought their cars to our house which Mm. also got flooded um built for that reason yeah yeah Yeah. because you know you know about floods in this area yeah well it's yeah, we're on a floodplain where you expect to have floods, and we do quite yeah. often, but uh, nothing to that degree. So how high into the house did it go, and you About, had to be re- rescued? Uh, well, we we went upstairs, my yeah. wife and three children. We uh, just went upstairs, um, so it was about door handle height downstairs. Um, so wife, three kids, and a dog upstairs, <laughs> and uh, made it difficult. But um, mm-hmm. no, a lot of things just floating around downstairs and we we're constantly trying to you know pick things up and this and that and save what we could and what about the damage to the crop i mean so you your soybean and cane so yeah. what was hit the most um soybeans were a complete loss for right, us we right. didn't take a um any soybeans off 
um, crop-wise... Well, that must have been a big hit to the wallet for the yeah, season. Yeah, for sure. Um, crop-wise, so as Ian just said, um, this year will be our really tough year. Mm. Last year, we probably cut maybe half what we were going to. We were sort of around 16,000 tonne. Last year was going to be a big year for us. Should have been around 25,000 tonne. Um, but this year, being a two-year-old crop, we may be down at five or six thousand. Um, yeah, this year. And that's just a cycle. That's so it gets hit when it's just coming out, and that's it. It'll well, it'll kill it all. A, a big percentage of it. Yeah, it, being a two-year-old crop, so it, um, we, you know, the the second year on is when we lose when we feel the hit from all the year-old cane being killed. Um, yeah, but this year is going to be tough. We've, we. We do have a big um, soybean crop in this year, which will, uh, like a lot of people on the river, inject hopefully um, a bit of money. And uh, things are looking pretty good at the moment. For We had a later plant at, of cane, um, but cane is looking good. It's probably a bit backward to where it should be, but um, it is looking good. Yeah, driving around, looking at some of the farms, the cane does look oak. I mean, I was sort of a bit surprised, actually, really. Yeah. But when you look at uh, the, the, the depth and, and the amount that's out there, what about your neighbours? How did they fare? Similar? Oh, everyone was much the same. It, it And fun- for a wide area, too. That, that, yeah. That's one of the big things about that flood. A lot of the time when we have floods, oh, it's oh, the people upriver, yep, they got affected. This time it was just everyone. Everyone. Everyone was in the same boat. You couldn't talk to anyone down the street without them saying, yep, we've got no house or, you know, all their crops have been killed. Um, Yeah, it was huge. What about in terms of assistance or government help or anything, you know, how have you been feeling about that side of things? Because, you know, the townsfolk are saying, you know, they hear nothing and they've had virtually nothing, most of them, and no assistance. What In terms of uh, farming, what's what's happening? I think... they have been good. Um, some of the things have been harder to get, but um, there has been assistance there, which is it's been a, a big help. Um, yeah, you sort of a lot of things you've got to have the money, you've got to spend the money to get. Yeah, the money. as opposed to grants, you you get a rebate and things like that. So it's sort of um, it's good, yes, but you've also got to spend a heap of money to get the money to um, to offset in, it. In, in some instances, um, we've had some homing, housing grants, um, which have been good. Um, and we've been able to get all the house all back together, and yeah, it's uh, mm-hmm. been a, a big thing. So but this crop will be, this sugar crop will be a bit of an issue. This year's? Mm. Yes, yeah. We're, and that's what we're hearing with the figures from, from the mill. That's, yeah, for sure. Um, as we said, last year we still cut not bad tonnes, although a lot of it was um, poorer quality due to a lot of dead cane through it and whatnot. This year, um, the tons just aren't there because last year we just mowed off block after block of year-old cane. Um, so this year, we definitely hurt. Yeah. So you had to just mow it off? Yeah, mm. yeah. You had no choice. Yeah, yeah. How heartbreaking is that? Yeah, it's, it's not great. Mm. Yeah, you work all year and then just mow it off. And uh, did feel a lot better, though, rather than dead cane there. At least it was a blank paddock and then you start again yeah Mm. yeah and good prices is that some consolation yeah yeah it it is good prices last year was also good prices and we were big tons last year which didn't eventuate um it is good prices at the moment we we need them to stay there as well um 
yeah, they need to be up where they are for sure. Yeah. Mm. Would you like to see them a little bit higher? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to Marty Walsh, who is a director on the New South Wales Sugar Milling Cooperative. So it's a limit to how much you can say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we we uh, always enjoy uh, good prices and uh, yeah. always look forward to better ones. And um, soybean prices too. Does that look soybean pretty good? Soybean yeah. looking good. Yep. Um, we deal with Mara for a lot of our um, soybeans and, um, yeah, prices are good. They're up a lot from last year. Um, hopefully we can have a, a big crop of soybeans. Soybeans are they're fantastic, but we always say you never bank on them until they're in the truck because it just takes a bit of a flood to come through and you can end up with very little. Yeah, there's, I mean, al- yeah. Yeah, there's always something, isn't there? Yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah, it's one of those fickle crops, yeah. Mm. Mm. Uh, Marty, thanks for your time on the program today. Appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to The Country Hour. It's coming up to 21 minutes past 12. The New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. And a short time ago, Bridget McKenzie, who's the former Emergency Services Minister, she was a minister at the time of the flood. She uh, did a bit of a tour of the Sunshine Sugar Mill here at Broadwater, and I talked to her about the assistance money, also recovery, and also natural disasters generally. We're here today at the uh, at the mill, the Broadwater Mill, Sunshine Sugar, and I mean, what a difference a year mm. makes! But um, you know, there's still a long way to go with this recovery. Absolutely. Michael, we said it at the time that uh, an event of this magnitude was going to take years for the community and industry to recover fully. But what I'm seeing 12 months on and touring the mill today is our government's investment in those early programs, uh, the en- you know, the industry support package that supported Norco, which I'll be visiting later on this morning, and also the sugar mill here at Broadwater, um, have really made a difference. It meant that the 500-odd growers here locally uh, who are members of this cooperative could get their harvest off, although it was late, and, and get it crushed and keep the business going and people employed and that great product hitting the shelves right around the country and the globe. So... The investment was right in seeing, you know, the changes. They've had to do some really interesting things here to, to sort of deal with some of the impacts. The molasses tank, for instance, a 3,000-litre molasses tank is now down to a 150-litre substitute just for this year's harvest. And they had to do some transport changes in the systems to make sure that worked for harvest. And they've got plans, obviously, uh, for the money to reinvest in a much bigger tank going forward. So the lab's being upgraded, a um, whole lot of electrical work. So it's been great to see the changes th- and the impact that that investment's been able to make. And in a way, this mill um, uh, being basically back up and running again, unlike Norco, the ice cream mm. factory, which will be um, till August, I suppose. We do hear, though, from people and we hear from farmers and we hear from uh, townsfolk that they feel as though that the recovery or the assistance is still dragging on, that's taking too long. And, I mean, uh, obviously there was a change of government in there as well, but, I mean, do you, uh, how do you, how do you uh, uh, relate to those people that come to you and say it's taking too long? Well, I think that is a frustration of any community that's been through a disaster. Um, I think one of the decisions we made when we were in government was the investment and industry package was super important because it meant people had a job. We could get these keystone businesses up and running again as quickly as possible, particularly as they're 
uh, related to harvest and a broader workforce across the region, that that was going to be key to keeping people here locally, wanting to stay, wanting to see their future here in the Northern Rivers region. And so that was a good decision. As for some of the other packages, uh, I can't really speak to that, uh, no longer in government, but the feedback I got at the memorial service yesterday and uh, indeed the Bodie's celebration yesterday afternoon was that some of those housing packages are taking too long and uh, you know that there's a level of frustration there for sure. Seems as though Queensland did a better job in terms mm. of time wise than New South Wales um, Labor government in Queensland coalition government in New South Wales why do you think there was there's that disconnect? Well I said it again when I was minister at the time some states such as Queensland have a very highly developed uh, natural disaster response regime in place because they're dealing with cyclones every second year, droughts, floods, etc. Um, whereas other New South states Wales might have to get used to it. Well, I think you know that we know that they're going to be more frequent and intense as we uh, go forward. So that is just a fact, uh, and it's not just New South Wales. Victoria's having the same problem, and that's a Labor government with the bushfire response. So it is, I think, to be generous, is about the systems that are in place. Uh, within states and Queensland has a highly developed system in place to deal with natural disaster, not because they're a Labor government, but because they are a state that has to deal uh, with significant natural disasters regularly. There seems to be a problem with that federal state though, communication. Mm. Well, I think, you know, again, it was highly politicised during this event last year, but the reality is, and I hope the new minister realises that, is that the federal government is there to support states, no matter what colour they are, to respond on the ground and to help local communities. And that is the system that we have in terms of disaster recovery funding. And um, it doesn't matter who's in government, nor should it. Now, there can be changes that were made. And one of the things we flagged was the disaster recovery arrangements and the relationship with states needs to be more seamless. Uh, obviously getting the ADF on the ground. You've got to have the request come in from the state before the feds well, can a, release was, yeah, them. That's what we heard, that that was very slow. Well, and that's, um, you know, we celebrated the Bodies yesterday here and, you know, not every... When you live out in rural and regional Australia, it uh, doesn't matter which state, you're not going to have an ADF contingent in your backyard. That is the reality. That is why we have strong RFS, strong SES. And the Tinny Army. And the Tinny Army. We all just muck in and get it done. Uh, and that's how it has to be and that's how it should be. And we should be celebrating that spirit rather than denigrating it. And some world uh, champion surfers out on the <laughs> and things like that. Absolutely. But, I, can I just give a shout-out to one of the great um, sort of reflections for me having been the minister of the time was heading out to Paul Weir's dairy farm uh, you know hearing the story of the flood coming through the stock being washed away but the heartening story of his son Matt who wasn't even 21 at the time once they dealt with the stock issue and he'd rescued his own family getting on the jet ski and heading into Lismore and rescuing people for hours and um, it just showed courage under fire and a commitment to community uh, under pressure. And I, I was just so impressed with that young man and all over 300 locals that, that got out on the day, ignored official advice mm. and just helped their fellow man. Well, that's just the uh, Australian way. Absolutely. Bridget McKenzie, thanks for your time on the program today. Thanks, mate.
Richard McKenzie, who did a tour here of the uh, mill uh, a short time ago, about an hour or so ago, uh, of the anniversary of the flood in this facility. 28 minutes past 12. Let's go to some other news now. The National Road Transport Association is blaming the supermarkets for the collapse of Scott's refrigerated logistics. The company's been put into administration, putting 1,500 jobs at risk. The administrator, Cordamenta, says they've got plenty of interest from buyers. But Warren Clark, CEO of the Transport Association, told David Clawton the announcement was still a shock. It was a complete shock to see a company of this size and this sort of standing actually uh, you know, go into voluntary administration. Um, I think really what came to my mind was the flow-on effect on how it's going to affect the, the 1,500 people that you know potentially could lose their jobs, but not only that, the subcontractors that work for Scots and so forth. So it's a really big thing for the industry. What sort of impact is there in the freight sector broadly when a major player like this leaves? Well, what I think it shows is that it just shows the amount of pressure that's on transport and the freight sector and that pressure's coming from the top, you know, the, the top supermarkets, etc. And what happens is that, you know, people will jostle for the work, people will pick up the work, but there's still going to be uh, disruptions to the freight chain, and it's those disruptions that the consumers will feel right through the whole system. And you're saying it goes to the top, because the unions were saying that too, the, that um, Scots were, were running some of the business for Coles, for Aldi as well, Woolworths is partially involved and they're saying the margins are too tight for freight companies and we hear that in a lot of sectors. Do you believe that to be true in this case? Oh, look, 100%. That's where the pressure's coming from. You've got some of these guys, well, most of the industry is operating on an average profit margin of 2.5%. You know, gone are the days. Freight just cannot, cannot absorb any more costs but the pressure keeps coming. So until these um, groups become serious about providing safe and sustainable services, then transport can't absorb the cost anymore. It's just not there. And in the short term, Cordamentha are saying they're paying people to keep doing what they've been doing, but are you hearing of any sort of breakdown in, in operations at all? Is it impacting on farmers, for example, or, or, or food processors that might have refrigerated products that, that need to get somewhere? Look, they, they're doing a very good job of keeping it all going. Um, you know, it's in their best interest to make sure that it's as seamless as possible. Now, it needs to be, doesn't it? Because a lot of this stuff is perishable. Well, that's exactly right. So, refrigeration, cold storage—they'll have systems set up, and and it will, you know, it appear to be going, you know, great on the surface, a bit like a duck swimming. But make no mistake, and the sector is impacted by these types of guys going into liquidation. Talking about the situation with the uh, freight there, and uh, obviously some uh, big concerns with the uh, with the freight situation for Scotts uh, going into uh, lip liquidation. Fifteen hundred jobs at stake. It's uh, coming up to uh, twenty nine minutes to one. Let's get some news headlines now from Adam Story. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Michael. The federal opposition leader Peter Dutton has confirmed he would repeal Labor's changes to superannuation tax if uh, the coalition wins the next election. The federal treasurer has come out today and said changes to the superannuation scheme are modest and he hasn't ruled out further changes to the uh, tax system down the track. Uh, Australia's economy grew 0.5% in the final three months of 2022 and that's well below uh, most economists' forecasts so that'll be taken into account at the uh, next uh, Reserve Bank meeting I'd imagine. Well that's good. That's uh, it's yeah 
it's in, in this circumstance, it's a good thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the state opposition says new figures show the state's public ho- uh, health system remains under enormous pressure. Uh, the Bureau of Health Information's quarterly report found that more than 99,000 patients were on elective surgery waiting lists at the end of last year, with 17,000 of those having waited longer than they should, and one in ten patients were reported to have spent close to 20 hours in emergency departments while being treated. Uh, Overseas, and there's confirmation at least 16 people have died and about 85 others have been injured in a collision uh, between two trains in Greece. Uh, The crash happened uh, between a cargo train and an oncoming passenger train near the city of Larissa. Uh, However, hundreds of passengers have been successfully rescued from the wreckage. And just finally, Michael, uh, they're going to give uh, the coronation throne a makeover ahead of the ceremony for King Charles. Um, it's actually now 700 years old, so it's probably time it got a uh, <laughs> got a bit of a <laughs> nip and tuck. Charlie it, said, no, that's not good enough. We need the renovation. That's right, yes. Uh, it's oak. Henry VIII uh, was among those mm-hmm. who've been crowned on it, and including his, uh, his mum as well. Mm, uh-huh. there, you, there you go. Yeah, right. so I don't know who's got the contract for that. But 700 years. And they they'd want, want to be careful. No. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I want to know what they're doing. That's quite bizarre, really. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you think about, you know, how those heritage things are held in awe normally. But uh, You oh, think well, it would be under a constant state of um, yeah. makeovery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Is that a word? It is uh, now. It is now, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay, thanks for that, Adam. All right. Adam's story there with the news headlines. Let's find out what's happening with the weather. Gabrielle Woodhouse at the Bureau. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. How Fine are you? Fine and sunny. Good. Fine and sunny here at uh, Broadwater and the north coast. And uh, we've got, still got some storms around or not? Not really. Not just yet. Um, we're seeing a few showers at the moment just down near Jarvis Bay and maybe the beginnings of a storm right along the Queensland border over the northwest slopes and plains. But this afternoon we are looking at uh, storms developing along the eastern parts of the northern ranges there and sort of moving in towards parts of the mid-north coast and the northern rivers. So some of those storms looks as though they could uh, end up being severe with the risk of some large hail and some damaging winds and maybe even a burst of rain with them. Um, and again, we're looking at fairly similar conditions tomorrow with more storms uh, on the forecast across that northeast part of the state. Elsewhere, though... So uh, northeast but not on the coast? Look, we could still see a couple on the coast, but it's going to be more likely that we'll see those storms tomorrow up around the northern tablelands and the northern right. slopes, yep. maybe the hinterland parts of, of the north coast, but uh, elsewhere along the coast we're only looking at a, a shower or two and remaining quite dry elsewhere across the inland. So not and much hot, of a change, really. hot across it the is, west and central west? Yeah, so in terms of those temperatures, today it's uh, quite hot across the northern parts of the inland and, and along the northern coast, and tomorrow... It'll be a fraction cooler, but not by much, and we'll start to see that heat uh, across the inland developing uh, across Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So by Sunday, uh, temperatures around Dubbo, we're looking at you know, 34 degrees, um, down towards Griffith, 36 degrees. Nearer the coast, we're looking at mid-30s on, on Sunday, and that's going to warm up a little bit more ahead of a fairly significant cold front that's going to move across the state um, during the early part of next week. So those hot temperatures look as though they come through towards the Hunter on Monday and Tuesday with you know, temperatures around you know, 36, 37 degrees um, and even across the northern inland. So up near Burke, we're looking about 40 degrees on Monday um, ahead of the change coming through. So uh, a hot spell um, during the first part of next week ahead of a cooler change. Um, so the southern inland in particular will, will notice that the temperature change uh, come through um, by Tuesday with temperatures back down to the mid-20s. 
Okay, Gabrielle, thanks for that. My pleasure. It's uh, 24 to 1. Hello, I'm Sally Sara. Join me for the world today. Proposed changes to superannuation spark political debate. The government says the country needs the extra money, but the opposition says it's a broken election promise. You'll hear both sides of the argument and what $2 billion in revenue could buy for Australian taxpayers. You also hear about how solar energy is about to overtake coal as Australia's largest electricity source. Those stories are more coming up this lunchtime on The World Today. It's uh, coming up to uh, 24 minutes to one there. Not sure what happened there. Um, Yeah, sorry about that. Let's uh, turn our attention now to macadamias, Kim. Yesterday, we headed out to a macadamia farm to talk about the industry. Obviously, again, like lots of uh, concerns around this region, a lot of flooding, Mm. concerns about the trees, the growth, and uh, Mm. getting the nuts off as well. We heard, we were talking to Robbie Commons about that. He's actually got a meeting on there today. Yeah, they're holding a a field day with uh, Oz Macadamias and also the DPI. But he manages 100,000 macadamia trees, Mm. probably a little bit less now after the floods. Yeah. Uh, across three different orchards and we saw some amazing drone photos that he you know posted last year but um, let's head into his farm shed and let's talk about the re- recovery from the floods yeah it's hard to believe it was one year ago feels like four or five years ago um, and it doesn't seem that long ago all jambled in together but this is the highest part of this farm um, and we've built the pad up about one and a half meters above the natural land and the water went a meter into the shed so um, just below our power points which is a requirement for the council so I think they were onto something but it was yeah, quite devastating you know, all of our workshop tools office I had my laptop thankfully but yeah we had a meter through everything and how long do you think it has taken for you to recover? Your orchards were underwater, not just here on this farm, but other farms? Yeah, I'm amazed how many tentacles and how long these tentacles are from this flood. I really expected it to be a month. Yeah, it was a big flood event and I've grown up on the floodplains on the Tweed and a flood happens, you wait for the rain to go away, you get in and clean up as quickly as possible and a month later you're back into normal life. Uh, To me there was really three big wet weather events last year was the monster which was the main flood in February there was a follow-up flood three weeks later which was from my understanding the second biggest flood this region's ever seen and then the worst of the three was the six months of just constant rain you know like we just couldn't do anything about that you know we're looking at our trees really struggling and and dying and and looking at our team wanting to get out there and help but we didn't have a drainage problem. We, we had our drainage pretty good. We had a rain problem. <laughs> the rain just kept on falling and the soil was saturated and, and that third event of just constant drizzly rain of two or three mil a day um, did the most amount of damage in my opinion. Yeah, and would have made it really hard for you to get on and harvest the nut. It did, ab- absolutely. So last year was um, our first, uh, we're a young orchard and growing, so our first real commercial harvest. And on our uh, DK MacNuts orchard, we actually did some hand harvesting. So we picked up a record crop off that orchard. I think it had done 32 tonne previously, and we did 44 last year. But I'd say about six of that was from hand harvesting. How many trees ended up dying? We had hoped uh, initially after the first event that we were probably going to minimise it to around 5 to 10%. So 
2TE, which is my business, we manage multiple orchards across the northern rivers. So what I'll refer to is um, our two main orchards that we were involved with last year. Salt Spray Farm has 77,000 trees. We were fully planted. We concentrated the planting on, on purpose to try and make sure that we could get the maximum crop at each stage. Uh, we've lost around about 15 to 20% of those trees. And it was very obvious that the older the tree, the safer it was. Um, and also the higher the ground naturally, the safer it was. So the orchard that we planted last, because Salt Spray Farm's broken into four different farms or orchards, they were only a year old, and that's where we had the majority of the loss. So we've probably, you know, of a 40 hectare block, we'll have to replant around about 30 hectares of that orchard. Whereas, you know, our Sneesby's farm, which was four years old, 40 hectare block, similar size, we'll have to replant 5% of that block so and the pricing at the moment isn't really helping you either for the recovery the pricing isn't absolutely agree with you but the biggest issue is the confidence that it's um putting out to the industry so my personal opinion is that this is a supply demand issue in specific parts of our industry that will be resolved but what uh, we need to do is keep um, looking to the long-term future. You know, we plant an orchard like this, it's a 25-year investment. Absolutely, this year the price is down, but the fundamentals for the industry is you know, still very strong. Vegan, vegetarian, healthy snack products, you know, ingredients, that's where we need to, to really focus on. What I'm more concerned about is the impact it's had on growers' confidence, so, which is a really, really big worry. And on Wednesday, you're hosting a recovery day for, for growers from across the region here on the farm? Yeah, we've got maybe 50 or 60 growers from across the industry in the floodplain coming along, and, and we're going to talk about our experiences and what we saw. We, we trialled you know, everything. We had you know, the biggest drone in Australia, I think, that could carry about 45 kilos, Shane Moylan. We were spraying um, foliar products on there straight after the flood. Um, we were putting nutrition out with that. Um, while the trees were still in half a metre of water because we felt that was the best thing we could do. Um, we've also done a huge amount of pruning, a huge amount of you know, fungicide application with really mixed successes. So I'll be really keen to hear how the other growers' results were from the trials they had. And the goal from it really is that we can share and compare experiences and, and we can all take a step forward from it. Commons Managing Director of 2TE at East Wardell here on the Country Hour. And it's coming up to uh, 20 minutes to one. You're listening to the New South Wales Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, from macadamias to, to another crop, flowers, <laughs> one of my favourite. Oh, it was such a toss-up. Do I go to the farm and collect a package? No. Sue Ellen Thompson from Flower and Field, Field and Flower Swan Bay, which is sort of closer towards Bungawalbin, joins us this afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you, Michael? How um, are you, Kim? We're very well, indeed, and uh, one year on, how are you going? We're going super. Okay, good. Um, we have had an amazing year of human positiveness, would be my summing up of it. Uh, since 12 months ago, we have had a rapid uh, learning curve mental load and physical load to get us to a place where we're okay 
Mm. Yeah. So some dark days in the beginning, and then but the, then it was all hands on deck and helping out, really. It was. We, in the order of sort of community and family and friends, we were overwhelmed with support from many angles mm. um, to get us back up on our feet and growing and selling flowers again. And how many flower beds did you have in that were inundated by flood water and destroyed, and also your home? So we've got just under an acre under flower. Um, we, like everyone else, uh, had checked the flood data. We expected we we had a plan for one in one hundred years. Uh, we live in a low set Queenslander, which is about nine hundred off the ground. Uh, but we knew at about five a.m. on that Monday that we were in all sorts of strife. Um, I'd been up all night listening to the ABC, which was our lifeline for that night. And by 6am, I was ringing our neighbour, who was slightly higher than us, saying, I'm not comfortable, I'm coming. Uh, And then it was on. Yeah. So you left the farm and you weren't able to move back into your house for how long? Well, we had the luxury of going to our neighbours. So we went there immediately and then by about 10am on the Monday... Uh, my neighbour's wife and myself looked at each other and thought, no, they're in strife as well. So we then went to another set of neighbours. But for the next 48 hours, our two husbands, uh, main priority animals, mm. yeah. cattle, goats, horses, we were surrounded as it kept coming at us and they were um, on an island on the house. Uh, and the first people in to help us were actually the vets. They were amazing because the flowers were gone. We knew that <laughs> that was no more. Uh, and unlike Marty, who spoke earlier, we grow a lot of annuals. So we haven't had that two-year crop situation that he has had. There's about 80% annuals in our garden. Uh, and it was upwards from there. Mm. How many stock are we talking that you had to look after? Uh, we have... Oh, we ended up with something like 40 animals. We counted amongst all up. We had goats on the neighbour's deck... We had cattle knee-high being hand-fed off the deck of the house. We had horses just trying to keep them moving and, you know, dry. Um, we had we had a bit of a joke. We ended up with a local fox in the tree looking at us. Cause <laughs> <laughs> so it was, a, it was a calmness and a stillness, as any, everyone Any port said. in a storm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. And, and with your neighbours, how did they feel, you know, beyond your... Lo- local neighbours where you went to, to help I mean it's it sounds like talking to Marty and talking to the people at the mill here that the damage was widespread. The damage was widespread and on Tuesday morning my husband Gray and our neighbour I rang them because we were up on a hill and I said there are people on roofs so those two jumped in a tinny and went round to our neighbours got neighbours off roofs dropped them into Woodburn so yeah amazing community effort right from ground zero. And you mentioned that you had a lot of 80% of annuals. Do you think that's what allowed you to recover so quickly? It was absolutely what allowed Mm, us to mm. recover. So we haven't recovered our house. We spent three months in a caravan that was gifted by a friend. Uh, So still not back in? We're in the house, but it's it's still um, a very base level Work in progress, right. Yeah, I can imagine. Our Mm. focus was on the gardens and what our experience was, it's been an amazing growing year. And as the gardens blossomed, we blossomed again. So that was we did that first, and the house came second. And I've had such lovely feedback. We're on the main road between Woodburn and Korokai. So as people drive past, they've watched us 
re-blooming and I've had lovely messages about, you know, I get vicarious joy when I drive past your your farm seeing you recover. Mm. Um, so like an oasis, I can look forward to the future. Well, it, it is and, you know, we're looking forward to, you know, growing more beautiful flowers. We do as much as we can, you know, thought and, and environment-wise and I, I think it's going to be a good year for the flowers. I think emotionally we're still struggling. Um, you know, we have to get the house into order, we have to do other things, but uh, we are looking forward and we're looking forward to it. We're looking so, forward to it. And the markets are still intact? You've still got, uh, you can still sell into markets? Our, we sell direct from Farmgate. We sell to florists right. and um, at um, Ballina Markets and Casino Markets. And uh, they have been amazing. Yes, we're back. They're all customers were supportive they waited for us to re to re-shine so it's been yeah it's been amazing it's at the ballina farmers market on sunday and you were sold out by the time i got there we were we were they've been amazing for us yeah um, you're stall holders with peppy fassos we from 560 we are. farms we are, so if we you're ever in ballina he's fabulous so yes it's been a an amazing year of growth for us the garden the business and our community you know mm. we are so much closer mm. Yeah, well, that is a, a positive note to, to end on. Uh, thanks very much for joining us on the program today. Thank you. Thank you. That's Sue Ellen Thompson from Field and Flower at Swan Bay here on the Country Hour. Ten to one. On ABC Radio New South Wales, this is the New South Wales Country Hour. And uh, when we were, did our last broadcast, Kim, we spoke to Tony Caruso, oh, Caruso yeah, who was, was in a lot of he, he was in a lot of angst at the time. He lost he, everything. He lost everything. Soybeans, rice, cane, a lot of cane, all his cattle, yep. and he hasn't managed to just hasn't even got to rebuilding his cattle herd at right. the moment. Yep. Yep. But uh, he's got some crops up again. Some he's still got some cane. He's got rice, new rice growing, new soybean crop crops but I jumped in his uh, car and we did a bit of a drive around yeah we're driving around today looking at um, some of the paddocks it looks uh, um, very much better than what it did um, today 12 months ago um, we've had a lot of work and we've still got uh, you know a good couple of years at least to um, fix all the, the problems uh, we haven't even started our fencing yet we're waiting for cooler weather um, but we've got a lot of drainage work to do and, and desiltation of, um, of drains and fixing pipes and so forth. Our main focus has been on getting crops in the ground, which has been very difficult because of the damage to uh, all of our equipment. Uh, although we had it uh, on mounds that were above the 1 in 100 year flood, um, this last um, February-March flood was an absolute monster of a flood and uh, the height of the water, the depth of the water, was 2.4 to 2.6 metres deeper than uh, the one in a 100-year flood. So it was catastrophic um, to the whole whole district. Um, but the, the district is, is uh, recovering and, and people are coming back, um, uh, thanks largely to um, both the state and federal government with the, the grant money that they've um, made available. Um, without that, uh, I can guarantee that uh, there would have been a lot of farmers that simply wouldn't have been able to get back up again. But that that has certainly uh, helped. Um, people are, are, are back trying. A lot of the crops are are uh, well behind where they should be at this time of the year. Tomorrow's the uh, or the first of August is the first day of of uh, autumn, so our summertime is uh, slipping away. We've got um, some nice soybean crops. Um, 
uh, and, and the rice crop is going fairly well, although we a little bit of tip burn because it's just been too dry. Uh, dare I say uh, we'd like to see some rain, but we yeah. don't want 20 I, inches. Well, I have heard that in the last few days because of these really hot days lately that um, we need a nice shower. Absolutely, we're, we're desperate for some rain, uh, particularly on the uh, on the rice. The soybeans are not suffering as much, but uh, if we had two or three inches of rain, it'd uh, it'd be great. We've had um, uh, difficulty with uh, sugarcane uh, crops have been uh, decimated uh, by the flood. Um, a lot of debris uh, we've pulled out of uh, the crops that we harvested this year. We had no uh, one-year-old sets, that, uh, our planting material. Um, we had to uh, buy sets from the mill as much as they were able to uh, sell us uh, because everybody was, was uh, drawing sets uh, from them. So that'll form um, our, our plant planting um, material for, for next year. So it's going to be, um, you know, four or five years before we can um, re-establish our, uh, our cane plantation-style areas. Well, the soybean crop looks pretty good. Are you happy with it? Yeah, I'm very happy with the soybeans. Um, they're, they're going very well. We planted Hayman, um, a variety, because uh, it, it's pretty much the last variety in the, uh, in the window of planting opportunity. And we planted uh, right at the end of the planting window. So um, with all those things considered, uh, yes, I'm, I'm happy with uh, how they're doing. Um, if we can get some rain, it'll be good. Actually, uh, considering they're a late-planted crop, um, they look a little bit uh, too good. Something might go wrong. Tony Carusi, who's a cattle and mixed cropping farmer, talking there to Kim Honan. Let's go to markets. There was 1,258 head of cattle yarded. That's down by 240. Young cattle were well supplied and there was a larger penning of around 400 cows. Quality is mixed in a cheaper market with plainer type cattle most affected. Restocker steer, vealer steers are 20 cents cheaper depending on quality. Selling from 275 to 542 cents, restocker vealer heifers suffered the greatest loss though down between 20 and 30 cents, selling from 290 to 401 cents. Yearlings were 10 cents cheaper, restocker and backgrounder yearling steers 320 to 426 and the yearling heifers 302 to 352. Only a few bullocks and steers are back by 5 cents, 300 to 326, heifers topped at 295. Three score cows were 5 cents cheaper to average 263, while the heavy cows are back by 10 to 12 cents, 270 to 86. Best of the heavy bulls, 250 cents. Doug Robson, Casino. Thanks for that, Dave. Let's uh, go to the next lot of markets. Let's have a let's have a look at what we've got here. Carcore sheep and lambs. David Monk. Numbers are up by fourteen hundred for a yarding of four thousand three hundred and fifty lambs. It was a much better quality yarding than the previous sales plain yarding. There was a good selection of trade weight new season lambs and shorn lambs, along with a few pins of good heavyweight lambs. There were also fair numbers of young lambs suitable for the restockers. Trade lambs were seven to fourteen dearer with the better quality of factor. Trade weight new season lambs sold from 112 to 188 to average around 800 cents per kilogram. Trade weight old lambs sold from 110 to 203. The few heavyweight lambs were $7 dearer, with the lambs over 24 kilograms selling from 198 to 210. Lambs to the restockers were 8 to $10 dearer, selling from 50 to 145. 
Hoggets were around firm with crossbreds selling from 60 to 120. Numbers were up by 500 for a mixed yarding of 3,100 mutton. Most grades were 6 to 10 dearer. Merino ewes sold from 17 to 88, while crossbred ewes sold from 48 to 125. Merino weather sold from 60 to 103. This is David Monk at CTLX for MLA. Let's go to Cowra Sheep and Lambs, Rob Pearce. Good afternoon, Michael. There were 5,000 lambs up by 2,000. Quality once again was mixed. Trade and heavy supplementary fed lambs were in good condition, while the remainder tended to lack finish. And there were mainly heavyweights penned. Medium heavy trades were two to three cheaper. 20 to 22 kilos, so up from 155 to 178. 22 to 24, 165 to 186, averaging 7.40 to 7.50 cents. Heavyweights were two cheaper. 24 to 26, 185 to 205. 26 to 30, 204 to 228. 30 plus topped at 251, averaging 7.30 to 7.60 cents. Stores sold from 28 to 146, and mutton numbers were limited for only 360. Heavy first cross use sold from 105 to 138. And this has been Rob Pierce from MLA at Cowra. Thanks, Rob. Yes, sheep and lambs. Graham Richard. Good afternoon. The lamb numbers lifted to 6,200. The quality was again mixed with plenty of light lambs, more suited to the feeder and restockers. There was a very good run of shorn heavy trade lambs and a few more lightweights that have been shorn. Quality was the driver, the planar lambs 4-6 to six cheaper, prime shorn trade and heavyweights were firm. The restocking lambs to 20 kilos, 121 to 138. Trade lambs 20 to 22 kilos, 2 and 3 scores, 124 to a top of 169. The 22 to 24 kilos, 162 to 182, averaging 750 to 780 cents. 24 to 26, 173 to 200, the best of the lambs around 800 cents. Heavyweights 200 to 210. The best price for hoggets reached 160. Mutton numbers were steady at 6,100. Prices firm to three cheaper. The medium weight ewes 54 to 108, heavy crossbred ewes 108 to 135, and merinos reached 115. And this has been Graham Richard. And to Mossvale cattle, David Kent. Good afternoon, Michael. A slight decrease in numbers for a total yarding of 634 mixed quality cattle. Young cattle returning the paddock made up a large percentage of the offering, along with a few good runs of prime velas and yearlings to suit the trade. There were a few good lines of feeder steers, a limited supply of grown cattle and 40 cows. All the usual buyers were operating, with the addition of an extra southern buyer selling to a mostly dearer trend. Yearlings to process up to 19 cents dearer, yearling steers 340 to 474, yearling heifers 288 to 446. Feeder cattle were firm to a few cents better. Feeder steers 3.52 to 4.02. Those to backgrounders reached 4.78. Feeder heifers 3.08 to 3.70. Yearling heifers to the restockers topped at 3.78. Well-bred weaners returning the paddock were dearer. Weaner steers 3.40 to 5.18. Weaner heifers 3.20 to 4.85. Heavy grown steers 3.20 to 3.67. Grown heifers 2.98 to 3.59. D2 cows averaged 2.35. Heavy four-score cows firm to a few cents easier 2.72 to 300. Heavy bulls to process, price unchanged, topping at 270 cents. This is Dave Kent at Mossvale for MLA. Thanks, Dave. And tomorrow, Kim, we're heading to Grafton to look at livestock. Yeah, we're heading to the local sale yards, the first of the wiener sales for the Northern Rivers this year. Looking forward to it. And also looking at some of the flood damage as well in that region. It's coming up to one o'clock.